welcome to City. We are a church that is uh, driven by three values. Our value is this, we are biblically based, relationally driven, and spirit-led. Biblically based means that we believe the Bible is God's Word and it teaches us about faith and conduct. We're relationally driven and that means we believe what Jesus teaches. And that is this, is that relationship is the most important thing in life. There was a time where Jesus was confronted by some religious leaders and they asked him this question, of all the laws in the Bible, which is the most important? And Jesus said this, love the Lord your God. Finish it with me if you know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what that teaches us is this, that relationship is the most important thing in life. There is nothing that's more important than relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with people. And then the third little pillar is this, we are, we are spirit-led. What that means is we believe the Bible teaches and we've experienced that the Holy Spirit is active in our lives as we strive as followers of Jesus to walk out the scriptures that we learn and specifically in the relationships that God's called us to be in. Now what we're doing as a church is we're moving through what we're calling a teaching series by the name of My City. My City deals with some of the other pillars that really make City Church what it is. And so just a few weeks ago, we took a look at worship and really kind of pressed into worship. And I really want to encourage you, be the type of follower of Jesus who does not just worship here on Sunday morning, but you find yourself in worship throughout the week. And then last week, we took a look at the whole idea of connecting and we looked at the book of Philemon and what Paul wrote to Philemon about bringing back his runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. And I know that many of us were challenged by that. This morning, what we're going to take a look at is serving or serve. The biblical call as followers of Jesus to be a group of people that serve together, but we also serve outside of the walls of this church. Now, one way you could serve today would be to root for UVA and to cheer for UVA. Am I right? So today at 1 o'clock, UVA will be playing against Villanova in basketball. That's a prayer request as, law, as well as to cheer. I think Villanova's ranked number one. But in my humble opinion, more importantly, today at 1 o'clock at Mem Gym, the University of Virginia men's wrestling team will be wrestling, is it NC State? NC State. English. And we need lots of prayer. So this is English. Stand up real quick. I'm going to embarrass you. Come on, stand up. This is the UVA wrestling head coach. This is his wife, English. You can be seated. You can cheer for her. Go ahead. And so today at 1 o'clock, many of us will be gathering in Mem Gym. And listen, it's free of charge. It's free of charge, but if you go there, you have to cheer for UVA. That's the rule, even if you went to NC State. We don't care, and we don't want to know about that. We just... Uh... <laughs> but as a church family, we're going to be talking about serve this morning, serving. And so in line with that, I'm going to be reading from a biblical story that the, at the outset will seem kind of different when we take a look at the idea of serving. And so would you grab a Bible with me 
And we're going to turn to page 839 if you're using your smartphone. We encourage everyone that's part of City to get the YouVersion Bible app for your phone and open it up with me to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. We're going to read a story that if you've been in the church for a period of time is going to be somewhat familiar to you. It's Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman. It's one of the New Testament stories that is deeply rooted in cultural context. We're going to get there. But what we're going to do together is we're going to think about serve or serving. And as we do, I would like for us to read this incredible biblical story. When we're done reading it, I'm going to give you some of the cultural context, and then we'll pull out some things that we're going to apply to our lives. So this is the story. Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Here's what the Bible tells us. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, meaning Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, speaking of Jesus now, if this man were a prophet, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a, what? A sinner. And Jesus answered him. He knew what he was thinking. That's kind of a mind freak to think that Jesus knows what you're thinking. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But Jesus answered him. So he's thinking, and Jesus answers his thought. Here's what he says. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman, but he said to Simon, picture that. Simon is his host, and he turns to the woman, but he's still speaking to Simon. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet, and you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her love has shown. But, for, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When you look at this story, there are a few cultural things that are relevant 
before we sort of pick apart this biblical story and apply it to our lives. And it's this. The Bible says that Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's home. If the Pharisee had honored him, he would have had a slave at the door to meet Jesus. And when Jesus walked in the door, that slave or that servant, as Jesus walked through the door, would have immediately begun to attend to Jesus' comfort and his needs. The first thing he would have done is knelt before Jesus and washed his feet. When he was done washing his feet, he would have rubbed some oil on his feet and then he would have stood up. And when he stood up, he would have taken some scented oil and he would have rubbed it on Jesus' head. He would have also done other things to show how welcome he was. But the Bible tells us none of that happens. This man invites Jesus into his home and does not treat him like an honored guest. And then what happens is Jesus goes and the Bible says reclines at the table. For some of us it might be confusing. How is it that he does not know who is the one that's standing uh, behind him? Well, it's simple. He is reclining. And in Jesus' day, there were low-lying tables. There were pillows. Jesus went in. He was reclining at the table and he was conversing and eating food. The woman comes in at some point during that meal. She stands behind him. Jesus' feet are behind him. He can't see who it is and she begins to kiss his feet. She begins to wet his feet with her tears. She takes her hair and she drives, dries his feet. And then Scripture tells us, that she literally ministers to him and to his comfort, and she does all of those things. Now listen, the man that's sitting there knows who she is. Most likely, she is a prostitute. That's pretty much um, unargued. Everyone basically believes that. So in this middle of this meal, the prostitute welcomes herself uninvited into the home. And when she does, she finds Jesus because she's heard that he's there. And she serves him. She serves him. She serves him in a way that his host should have served him, but he did not. I want you to notice one other quick thing before we pick the story apart. And it's this. The tools of her trade, her eyes, had been used, no doubt, in a lustful way in her trade. Her hair, which had been used in her trade, and definitely the perfume. She utilizes the things of her trade, and she turns it into worship to Jesus, and she serves Him. What a thought. And so that's most likely why the host is so stunned at what's taking place. He knows who she is. He knows what she's about. Yet she's serving him with the tools of her trade. And as she does so, Jesus defends her. He even promotes her. I will never forget when a group of us went to Quito, Ecuador a few years ago on a missions trip. When we were in Quito, Ecuador, we went to work with a bunch of Africans who had been working the sugar, sugar plantations until 1972. They were enslaved to some very wealthy people in Ecuador. They were working the sugar cane. A friend of mine went there and began to share Christ with them, and there was a revival that hit that group of Africans. And so we went to help work on the building. They built a beautiful church. 
They found them a pastor. He was actually a professional. He was African himself, had been raised in Ecuador, had been playing in the European League, had come to faith. He came back to be the pastor of this church. But I will never forget sitting there in the worship service. And when the worship was completed, they did something that was incredible to watch. Young Ecuadorian girls, these black Ecuadorians who had been literally captured and enslaved and brought in from Africa, they had a dance that all young girls do to attract a husband. It's their ritual in that village. And what they did is that when worship was completed and we were done singing, the back door opened and a tribal rhythmic piece of music began and there were about 20 of these young African girls who were now probably eight generations from when they were originally forcibly brought over and these young, beautiful African girls began to dance up the middle aisle of the church. And every one of them had a bottle on their head and inside the bottle on their head was a flower. When all of that was completed, the people stood up and cheered. My missionary friend leaned over to me and he said, let me explain what just happened. Those young girls, that was a dance that was utilized years ago for them to seduce a husband. But now that they have come to Christ, instead of having a bottle of rum on their head, now they have water in there that's a sign of the Holy Spirit. And inside that bottle is a fresh flower that they picked on the way to church. And that fresh flower is a symbol of the new life that they found in Christ. And so I watched, it was one of the most beautiful, moving, raw, natural kind of things I have ever experienced in worship. As these young ladies sauntered up to this perfectly in rhythm and in beat, and it was all of it was uh, focused on Jesus and serving Him in worship. I experienced that. But this story in the Bible, I believe, is so much more profound. This woman of the night comes in and she serves Jesus. She utilizes the tools of her trade, but she uses them to serve Him. Now, when we look at this story, we notice something about serving, do we not? We notice there are several people who are actors in this play. You've got Jesus who is worthy of worship and He's worthy of having people serve Him. We have a Pharisee and we have a woman. When you look at this story, what you find is, is that the host who should have served Jesus or more importantly, should have had a slave prepared to serve Jesus, did not who ends up serving him is a sinner. Is a sinner. Some of us sitting here, when you think about serving in the church, you think about it, but you go, you know something, I'm just not Christian enough in order to serve. Can we debunk that right now? I'm not Christian enough to be up front. None of us are Christian enough. You know why you're able to serve? Because of the grace and the love and the forgiveness found in Jesus. That's how this works. And the person that serves in this story is the greatest sinner in the room. Now, would anyone like to fight over who's the greatest sinner here? 
Somebody over here stands up, you'll share, middle, share, someone over here, share, and then we'll judge who the greatest sinner is. Look, there's no doubt in this story that the woman who comes in, she is the greatest sinner of all, but she serves. Do you know why she serves? Forgiveness. Forgiveness through Jesus is why we serve Him. Because He did for us what we could not do for ourselves, and therefore the logical response is to serve. It's to serve Him. Now, I know that we live in a culture where the goal is, is to get so high up the ladder where everyone serves you, and you don't have to serve anyone. It's the goal. A lot of people, the goal is, I want to become the boss. I want to be the leader. So that when I get there, everyone will serve me, and I won't have to serve anymore. I want to read you a verse. You ready? Jesus. Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 through 12. Here's what Jesus said. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I don't know how you're viewing this, but when I look at the story that we just read, and I think about serving, I begin to recognize something, and that is this. This story presents serving in such a way to where everything our flesh would want and our culture would demand is flipped on its head. Everything. The least qualified person is the one that's serving, and the most qualified person is the one that has refused to serve. He refused. He was the Pharisee. He knows all about God. Most likely, he could close his eyes and quote verbatim the first five books of the Bible. He had memorized the whole Pentateuch. He's the most qualified person, but he refused to serve. Do you want to know why? He's the boss. He's the boss. But when you look at what happens in this story, what you recognize is three times Jesus says to the host whose name is Simon, Simon, you did not. You did not. You did not, but she did. You did not. You know why, Simon? You're overqualified. You're too qualified to serve. Wow. When I look at this story, I sense something, and it's this. If you and I ever get to the point to where we're too qualified or too good or we're the boss so we refuse to serve, let me put this bluntly, we have forgotten forgiveness. We have forgotten. And I get it. The goal is to get into the corner office and to be the boss. The goal is, is to rise to such a level that I no longer have to serve and everyone wants to serve me. And then all of a sudden, Matthew 23, 11 through 12 shows up and says this, the greatest among you is the one who serves. 
is the one who serves. Isn't it funny that the guy who does nothing, we know his name. His name is Simon. But the woman who serves is nameless. We have no clue what her name is. And here's a thought that struck me as I began to pray about and think about this message in line with serving. It's this. We live in a culture that's about celebrity, not serving. It's about celebrity. But with God, it's either about celebrity or a servant. It's one or the other. What are we gunning for? Here's a thought that struck me as I was praying through the whole idea of serving for us as a church. Here's what I noticed. Our culture celebrates the celebrity. The celebrity is the person who everyone recognizes, everyone knows, and they want to do something for them because they're famous. Celebrity. I used to work at a hotel. It was called the Valley Forge Hilton. Worked there a little bit when I was in college. So the Valley Forge Hilton is right near the Valley Forge Music Fair. And so all of these famous people would come through. And it was so fascinating when the limousine would pull up and our boss would say, okay, it's Dom DeLuise. Treat him great. You know, I'm like, who's Dom DeLuise? All right, so you go out there. How you doing, sir? You doing well? And everyone's scurrying around. And then the people in the lobby are like, who's that? Everyone's scurrying around them. Oh, that's Dom DeLuise. You know what was awesome? I met Jay Leno when no one knew who he was. No one knew who the guy was. He was literally sitting on the fountain waiting for a ride. Jay Leno. You imagine no one. Now, if he walked into the foyer of that hotel, oh, Jay Leno's here. Jay Leno's here. Big deal. Everyone wants to do something for them. By the way, Dom DeLuise was an incredible tipper. God bless that man. But you know what? Our culture celebrates celebrity. The person that everyone knows their name and everyone wants to do something for them. But you know what? God celebrates the servant. God celebrates the servant. The servant is the person who almost never gets recognized, but because of Jesus, wants to do something for others. It's celebrity or it's servant. Our culture celebrates celebrity, but God celebrates the servant. Do you get this? Being great in God's eyes means that I am a person that is ready to serve. And listen to this very carefully. There is nothing wrong with wanting to be the boss, but when you become the boss, serve. Serve. Don't be the boss that puts his feet up or her feet up on the, on the desk, leans back in their chair and says, I have arrived. The greatest leaders are servant leaders. The greatest leaders are those who look to serve others. Others who they recognize are beneath them. But here's what Jesus said, the greatest among you are people who humble themselves. Humility in this regard is something you do to yourself. This isn't something that happens to you. It's where you recognize who you are, but you humble yourself and you serve and you do it intentionally. 
You see, the kingdom of God is where the servant is viewed as the greatest. The greatest. Can you imagine what it would look like if all of us committed to this core value at City, not just serving in the church, but serving six days a week when you're out there on the job where you walk in, you feel the calling that you're called to your job, and you say, I'm going to show up and serve. I'm going to serve. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the nameless, faceless group of people, the hundreds of us that would exit City Church this morning, and our primary goal is not to be recognized but to serve. Because Jesus said His heavenly Father will exalt those who serve. Those who humble themselves to the place where we're willing to serve others. The Bible says God is the one that will exalt you. What do you do with a group of people who are nameless, faceless, and all they want to do to serve? How do you oppose that? How do you stop that? What is the criticism of that? What do you say to a group of people who say, you know something, I'm here to serve. Here to serve. There have been a few times where I have met with some of the leadership of Charlottesville. When I've met with them, wonderful people. And when I've met with them, I've sat down and said, look, I want to make you an offer. We have hundreds of people that make up City Church, and here's my deal. If you have families that need help, please let us know. But the only thing I'm going to ask for is you would never tell anyone that it's City Church that's helped. No one. No one. And I remember meeting with the mayor several years ago, and the mayor said to me, now let me get this straight. You've got hundreds of people. Yep. And what are you offering again? Here's the deal. We would like to show up and serve, but my deal is please don't tell anyone it's City Church. He said, you're serious. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because here's what I believe. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the love of God. It's about forgiveness and serving. It's not about City Church. It's just simply not. It is not about City Church. And I think about this. If the UVA students and the high school students, the stay-at-home mom, the stay-at-home dad, those of us that will walk into our place of appointment, can you imagine if we walk through the door and say, because Christ has forgiven me, I'm going to serve. And I'm going to serve here on the job. God, give me a servant's heart. A servant's heart. I believe that that becomes almost unstoppable. Now, when we think about serving, there's another verse that struck me. It's written out by Peter. Second best name in the entire New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I'd like it put up on the screen. Here's what Peter writes. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to hoard it for yourself. No. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
So when you have a gifting and you utilize it on the job, you are demonstrating God's grace. It's a clear demonstration of His grace. I love that verse in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, because it absolutely calls me to be the type of person that analyzes my giftings, and it's up to me to figure it out. How am I going to serve with the giftings God has given me? Utilize it. And in doing so, if I become the president, the owner, or the boss, nothing will change. Nothing will change. I'm still going to serve, and I'm going to be called to that position, and I'm going to serve those who are around me. I'm here to serve. Now, when we look at these verses, there's another powerful one that Jesus speaks in John chapter 12, verse 26. Here's what He writes. Whoever serves Me must follow Me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Because here's what I know. Some of you are sitting here and you're saying, Pete, you don't have a clue where I work. You would never suggest this if you knew where I'm heading tomorrow morning. You'd never suggest it. Because if I go in there and I begin to serve, I'll be the only one. Everyone else there is about me, 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 me. What can I get for myself? How can I get, for, you know, do this, that, and the other? How can I get out of this and get into that? And everyone's scheming. Pete, you don't understand. I do. Absolutely do. I've worked like for places like that. I've been there. I know what it feels like. But God calls us as followers of Jesus to honor Christ by serving. And Jesus announces this, My Father will honor the one who serves me. He sees. He knows. He will honor you in due time. Now, there's a parallel story in the Gospels. It's another story where Jesus is anointed at another meal. There's a lady that shows up and she breaks open. He's anointed in Bethany in John chapter 12. And this woman shows up and she pours perfume on Jesus' feet and she's serving Him the same way we saw this woman serve Jesus in Simon's household. She does the same thing. She comes in and serves Him. It's incredible. And there is a guy who's sitting there. His name's Judas Iscariot. And as Judas sits there and he watches her serving Jesus, he says this, Why the waste? Why in the world did she just take a year's wages and serve Jesus with it? Why would she have done that? And Judas Iscariot says this. Here's what he says. That perfume should have been sold and all the money should have been collected and given to the poor. He looks at the way she serves Jesus and he says, we could have done better. But there's a little tagline in the Gospel that says this, Judas viewed what she did that way not because he loved the poor, it's because he liked to dip into the purse and take the money for himself. That's why. I want us to pause for a moment. 
Is there selfishness in my heart that keeps me from serving? Selfishness will keep me from serving. Selfishness will make me look at serving and say, better way to do it than that. And I know the better way. Selfishness will make me look at someone that's serving God and you'll think to yourself, I would never do that. Never. Ever. But here's what I know. Jesus Christ says this. Whoever serves me will follow me. And my Father will honor the one who serves me. Last verse. Matthew 20, verses 27 through 28. Here's Jesus. He says this. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. It's the Greek word doulos. That word so often is translated servant in the Newer Testament instead of slave. But Jesus utilizes the word doulos. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. And then here's what he says. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Wow. So as a follower of Jesus, the one that I'm following is the one that laid down his life and became a servant. And he served anyone who would need it. I have to ask myself this question. Who am I like in the story that we read at the beginning? Am I more like the Pharisee who comes in and sits and observes and consumes? Or... Am I more like the woman, the sinful woman, who recognizes that Jesus is here, He forgives, and how can we not but step up to serve? How can we not? At this time, I'm going to ask a friend of mine, Rick Peralt, to join me up on stage. Rick, where are you? I know you're here somewhere. Come on, you're an athlete. Just take a running leap and jump up on stage. Let me get you a mic as you do that. Everyone say good morning, Rick. Say good morning, Rick. Good morning. So Rick is an individual at City who's been serving in a way that probably most people never see. And so Rick, I want you to tell us kind of briefly where you serve at and uh, what you're involved with at City Church. Okay. I, um, I serve at Reach. So um, if you don't know what Reach is, it is uh, basically a ministry for middle school and high school children, your children, uh, which is basically teenagers. Uh, I'd like to see uh, hands. How many have teenagers here? Okay, a lot of you. You're entrusting your children to me and the other people. Um, and I can tell you they are, uh, they are definitely uh, challenged uh, nowadays. Uh, if you don't know this, uh, if you don't have teenagers, we have Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, texting, and they have the whole world in their palm, their phone. And guess what? There's no filter on that. And that's what they're dealing with week in and week out. Okay. So one of the reasons why people don't know about Reach is because where does it meet? Uh, Central. 
over at City Church Central. That's correct. So if you were to pull out of here and make a right and go up the parkway, you'll pass City Church Central. So the youth group meets there while we meet here. So how long have you been serving with the youth group at City? I've been serving roughly four years. Four years? As a youth group. I, I, was, uh, I was a greeter before that, but then Scott came on about four years ago, yep. five years ago, and uh, it was an exciting time. Uh, Scott, if you don't know Scott, is very energetic. Uh, it's exciting. And he talked about all the fun things we do at Reach. We play so many games that include uh, tape, eggs, whipped cream, you know, many, many different things. And, and that attracted me to go over there, uh, especially since I have teenage, two teenage girls myself, a 13-year-old and a 16-year-old now. And that's what drew me over there initially. But after I was there, I realized it's much more than fun and games. These young people are being challenged week in and week out by things that aren't necessarily Christian-based. And it's an opportunity for them to come in on Sunday morning and for us as a team to let them unplug, recharge, and for us to put the full armor of God on them to prepare them for that week. And it's very, very important because they don't get that outside of here. Okay, good deal. Now, I have a question for you, Rick. We're friends, right? Yes. All right, come on over here so we're... Um, how much hair did you have when you started working with our... I had an afro. You had an afro. Yeah. And a so blonde afro. You had a blonde afro, and then after serving with our youth group, put your head down a little. That's what it looks like <laughs> after five years That's of serving right. with our youth. Because if you have teenagers, you know that uh, your beautiful young children grew up to be something indescribable. <laughs> at times and you can always blame that on your spouse am I right yes but she promised she made me promise I wouldn't point her out <laughs> anything else that you would like to share about your experience serving at city is there anything else that kind of draws you in I know you're a businessman you're busy uh, he just got back from China a few days ago. He's traveling all over the place, and yet you've made this a priority in your life to serve. I have, and so I guess what I would do is personally challenge each one of you to prayerfully consider where God's calling you for, for ministry here in, in the church. I will tell you that we have a tremendous need at REACH. It's so much fun. Your children need you, and if you don't have teenagers, it's still an opportunity to come out and impact their lives. Uh, they are our future. So I would challenge you to really prayerfully consider where God would lead you to serve at City Church. And if it's reach, come find me. We need you. Good deal. So you'll be in the foyer after if anyone has any questions. My wife will. Your wife will. Gotcha. <laughs> no, of course I will. All right, good deal. Let's give Rick a hand. God bless you. Thanks, man. I got it. Can you do something with me very quickly? Can you take out this my city serving that you were handed when you came through the door. As you know, a couple of times a year, we encourage people to prayerfully consider serving at city. What I know is that the Scripture in 1 Peter tells us to be aware of our giftings and to figure out how we can serve. City church inside our church may not be the best place for you to serve. It may not be, but it also might be. We encourage everyone who calls City their home every once in a while during the year to pray about where you might be willing to serve. And so what we've got listed here are some areas where we have need. It takes approximately 130 people every week 
to do what we do in and through City Church as a mobile church. And so with that, we've listed some of the needs that we have. What we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is if you are interested in serving in any one of these capacities, if you would just simply take your bulletin out, the news feed, write your name on there, and just put somewhere on there and some way for us to connect with you via email, and just put on there some area of ministry that might interest you. And what we do is it's called shadowing. If you're interested in serving, what you do is you go serve with someone. You shadow them. You get to experience what it's like to ask questions, and that person will be there to mentor you and to help you in that area of need. So what I would encourage you to go ahead and take a look at the different needs at City. If God is prompting you to serve, I would strongly encourage you to do that. Now, one other thing. The worship team's going to return at this time. But I would like for us to prayerfully consider where in City that God may be calling you to serve. But here's what I know to the depths of my heart. My greatest burden is this. Would you and I please begin to view ourselves as people that God has called us to serve? That when you stride into your job on Sunday morning, I don't care what it is, would you, would you please prayerfully consider what will it look like if I walk through those doors and I would determine in my heart that I'm going to be someone that is here to serve? I know this is a paradigm shift for some. I realize that. But what I also recognize from the gospel story that we read, there was a man who could have served Jesus. And because of his position and his authority, he refused. He missed one of the greatest opportunities anyone has ever had. The Son of God, God in the flesh, was literally sitting in his home. And because of his position, he refused to serve. So God sent the greatest sinner in the village. And she came in and she served Jesus in his place. Let's be a group of people who serve Jesus because we know he has forgiven us. And through that forgiveness and love for him, we will serve others. Can we stand together as we close? As we stand together, would you take a moment just to close your eyes in God's presence? As I said at the outset, we are a biblically-based, Spirit-led church. And what that means is, is in this moment, the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts. Would you mind taking just a moment to open up to God's presence, saying, God, Jesus, is there any area in my life where you would call me to serve? Have I grown to the place where I feel like serving is something that's beneath me? That's the case. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in God's presence. Say, God, I don't want to be like this. God, help me to be a person that serves. Whatever it is that you're going to step into this week, would you in this moment be open to the Holy Spirit's voice speaking to you? about walking out these scriptures 
and stepping into whatever context you're going to move into. Saying, Jesus, I'm going to step into that as your servant. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give you my very, very best. We're going to sing two stanzas of a hymn. And as we sing this together, I want to encourage you just to be open to God's working in your heart. Is there something God's calling you to and through this message? That you would be a servant for Him. Let's worship together. Jesus, in this moment, we offer ourselves to You. You are the one that came to serve all of humankind. And as we follow You, we follow Your calling to serve. And in this moment, for some of us, we humble ourselves before You. We acknowledge our pride and our self-centeredness. We say, Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus, if that sinful woman could serve You, I can serve you as well. Jesus, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit that I can walk out your scriptures and be a spirit-led person in this world. And Jesus, I pray over all of us that we would look to be a servant, not a celebrity. That as a servant who would be here to serve others, whether anyone knows my name or what I've done or not. Because God, you see. You see. As we close out our service, if you would like prayer, our prayer team is down front. They're prepared to serve you, to pray with you, and to pray for you. If you have a burden or a need, I encourage you to come forward to be prayed with or to be prayed for. I also want to encourage you to take a few moments in God's presence. Jesus calls us to be people who serve, that the servant is the greatest. As we conclude our time, I encourage you, if you would feel led to do so, to save for a brief time of worship. If you need to slip out, please sip out quietly. And now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you. And may He give you Yeah. Mm-hmm.
things together. I believe in life eternal.